<laughs> what they say with boys and they toys, huh? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I got some toys, so. Right, right. Can y'all hear me the same? I did damn good. Okay, that's great. Very good. Very good. I had to change some settings on my um my device. Oh really? Hey. 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 Hello, hello, hey everybody. Welcome to the Knowledge and Power Podcast Live. And we are back for another evening of podcasting. Let's see if we get my headsets up. I hear the turtle, I hear the turtle motherfucker going. <laughs> okay, hold on. <laughs> All right, there we go. Nah, that's much better. Now, Trish, can you hear me now? I can hear you better, yes. Great, great, great. Okay, let's, I'm going to start the show all over again. How about that? <laughs> no, I'm no, just kidding. Welcome to Knowledge's Power Podcast Live, everyone. And my name is Tony Renfro, and I'm along with my, my cast here. And we're going to go this way. We're going to go to the right. Okay. Uh, Trisha, hello. Trisha Hi. Kim, a promo. Uh, Perry Busby from Plantation, Florida. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hello, Beaumont. Chris Jones. Hello, Christopher. All right. From the real uh, south end. From, from the real south end. Speaking of the real south end, I'd like to have a special show with you as a real host again. Doing, we're going to do, and myself, because I'm from the south end. Come on, let's south end. Let's do a, uh, uh, a south end special. Let's get some photos and other stuff. Some slideshows, show some old buildings, old businesses, uh, old people, and let's just talk about the south end. How about that? And I'm definitely And maybe get those from South End uh, Facebook page uh, uh, at the admin to come in and join us. And let's get together for a big party from South End. How about that? I'm for it. I'm All right. Okay. All right. Now I got Mr. Mrs. Uh, Tracy Stacy. Is it uh, this man here? <laughs> <laughs> this man here. <laughs> I've got my host, uh, my daughter, Sherwood. Uh, and out to my far right is Terry Roy. How you do, Terry? Okay, I'm good. Listen, listen we, we've got a great show ahead of us, and, and I hope you guys are listening or watching it will enjoy it. I'm not at home. I'm not in my home studio tonight. So it, I hope you can hear me well uh, and uh, see me, okay? Uh, let's see. Uh, we're looking okay. Great. I have loved this, love this deal. I love doing this. Hey guys, also I want you to please go to our uh, our new Facebook page, Now She Talk Podcast, uh, Black Culture page, uh, three sixty five. Uh, three sixty five. That means we're going to be posted and educating and learning ourselves and you three hundred and sixty five days of Black history, rich in heritages that we have that you, we can learn and teach each other. 
I would want to welcome Bummer 411 on here as well tonight because I just knew that this is more educated, more going to be educated more for that group as well. Uh, they can share some of the things because they cannot teach it no more, but we can share among each other about our Black History. The night show topic: Black History 365 with our roundtable panelists Perry Busby Jr. Perry, the third man, the third man. Don't put me in junior shoes. I'm too big. Yeah, I really did. You know what? And did, did, did you not know? Were you too young to remember that I was your dad's uh, uh, armor bearer? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, I don't care how. Here, your reverb is high. Can I? And no matter how 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 late I stayed out that Saturday night, I was showing up on Sunday morning. <laughs> you know what, Tony? Hold <laughs> on. Let's move on with the show. All right, I'm going to change that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm going to bring on, wait a minute. Let's see. Everyone, everyone, I've got everyone here. Great. Perry, it's, you're going to take over. It's your show. Thank you, everyone, for watching us. And we'll be right back with our uh, 60, 30 seconds, uh, uh, logo promo, uh, and, uh, LaDonna going to bring us into the show and we will get it started. How about that? As soon as I can find it. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go, guys. Knowledge is Power Podcast Live with your host, Tony Redfield, and my co-host, LaDonna Sherwood and Francis Lockins. Knowledge is Power Podcast Live starts now. Speaking of uh, uh, Francis Lockins, where is Francis? Uh, we don't know. <laughs> MIA. Okay, great. I'll, I'll pick up the phone and find, find her. LaDonna, you got it, sweetheart. Yes, Knowledge is Power Podcast Live is a platform to share important information by educating Southeast Texas African American communities with viable information on health, education, finances, politics, and business. We pride ourselves on keeping our hand on the pulse of this community. Letting you know what is going on in and around Jefferson County. Great. Hey, guys, also, people, drop us a comment. We want to hear from you as well. Knowledge is Power Podcast Live is now on Facebook, Spotify, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, Apple, iTunes, Amazon Music, and Google Play. Now, again, my introduction to our friend, Terry Busby. Hey, hey, what's up to my crew? What's up, Omar? And what's up to the Knowledge is Power audience? I am excited uh, to have this opportunity to come come to you uh, and share. Uh, as you know, this has been African American History Month, and uh, I've seen uh, a lot of uh, posts and artifacts of things that I didn't know. Um, 
And I do want to give a shout out uh, to my good friend, Chris Jones, Unc, uh, because Chris uh, inspired me on an idea that I was thinking about when Tony uh, first asked to do this show. And I was thinking, well, what can I do for Black History? Everybody been talking about all these facts. And uh, Chris has been uh, sending me some uh, messages from the diaspora. I mean, people from Langston Hughes to Amir Bakara to, you know, Michelle Obama, anyone you can name. And that inspired me uh, that in, uh, for tonight, what we want to do is look at some what I call neglected wisdom. And so I want to look at black history from a literature perspective. Uh, and I'm saying that because so much of our history is written in books and so much of our knowledge, our elders wrote down uh, just their aspirations, not knowing it would be a guidepost uh, for us. And, and I, I just want to tell you, as I was doing the research for this, it has really been empowering. And I hope that it empowers you as well. Uh, first, we're going to start out with folk tales. Uh, how many, how many of us grew up on folk tales? I mean, and that, uh, you know, or what folk tales do you remember? Anybody? Well, <laughs> when you say folk tales, are you talking about, <laughs> um, say for an example, like, uh, if you lie, the devil gonna pull your toes and this kind of stuff. Are you talking about? <laughs> well, well, no, I'm talking uh, maybe short stories, or, or I wouldn't even call them rhymes. Uh, but I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, you remember Disney used to have that zippity doo dah, zippity yay? All that comes from folk tales. Really? Yeah. And these were folk tales, uh, you know, folk tales really derived from really two aspects, both from, from people of color. Uh, you had uh, you had Africans who, who had their folk tales, which is where we get the griot, and this was how they came together as community and told, told stories. It wasn't written, most of it was spoken. Uh, and then you also had the Native Americans. And in the Native Americans' idea of folklore, it was somewhat metaphysical because people took on different different shapes. They became eagles. They became all of these things that represented some greater nature. And when you look at it, once Africans came and, and we began to mingle with, with, with Indians, some of these folktales began to sort of cross, uh, which is where you get the whole bird rabbit, bird fox, you know, that was taking, you know, some characteristic and putting it into animals such that they could teach the lesson without it becoming so offensive to master and anything else. It became, you know, somewhat of this jocular tale. And, um, uh, so we're going to begin, uh, one of the, uh, we have to credit uh, Zora Neale Hurston uh, and her skills as an ethnographer, uh, her study, uh, 
of these slaves and, and spending time. Um, what what the historian says that, you know, we even as wonderful as Zora Neale can write and, and, and create these beautiful pictures, understand something gets lost from the telling to the pen. And so at best, what we've got here is, is the framework. Uh, but it, but it's a great framework, and when you begin to hear about it, uh, I, I was learning that you know you kind of hear when, when you look at these folk tales, it seems as though the Negro is always down and out, and and it even went into vaudeville and what we began to see in in, in movies. But that was really sort of a trickster way. They were trying to tell a story without it being so offensive and once you know and so you had to listen with a keen ear you had to pay attention because the story because the 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 lesson wasn't always going to hit you right in your eye you had to read between the lines and so that's where you see times where you know it looks like Master is getting the upper hand, and all of a sudden, the slave says something that sounds so profoundly ignorant that master can't do anything about it. And so, it begins to teach you also the ignorance of master as well. In a very sly way, they begin to dismantle this impenetrable source who they saw as the Anglo Saxon, and so they wrote stories. Um, and at the same time, they were telling stories to us about us coming out of slavery. Uh, Tony, let, let, let's pull the first one up. Uh, and I love this story. Uh, Zora Neale Hurston wrote a book called Muse and Minion. Okay. Let me go to it. Yeah, let's start with that one. Hey. You being messy, big bro. Yeah. <laughs> that good kind. We got, we got to like man. What's your thing, like this, man. <laughs> Let's go to the first now. Now, now, let's go to the uh, cover. And uh, no, no, no. Yeah, let's start there. Okay. Now, what's that? Okay, that's just the cover. Let's start with the first one. We gonna start with number. Use the nigga. Okay. Wait a minute. What? Say it again. Remember, you the nigga. And this this was written again. <laughs> this was a story that was passed along. And the story goes that there was a slave called Old John. And Master told Old John, you know, that, uh, you know, John, when, when times get right, and uh, when John was working in the field, he saw first, John was working in the field, he saw Master's kids, and they were about to drown so he jumps in the river he saves him master in turn says john if the next crop season is good and you really do a good job i'm gonna let you have your freedom and so it says well master and john take him to the house so they all goes up so they was also glad because the children got saved. So Master told them to make a good crop that year and fill the barn. And then when the laid by the crops next year, he was going to set them free. 
So John raised so much crop that year that he filled the barn and had to put some of it in the in the house. Friday came and master said, well, the day will come that I said I set you free. I hate to do it, but I don't like to make myself out of lie. I hate to get rid of a good nigga like you. So he went in the house and gave John one of his old suits and clothes to put on. So John put on the suit and came to shake the hands and tell him goodbye. The children, they cried. Old Missy, she cried too. Uh, didn't want to see John go. So John took his bundle and put it on the stick and hung it across his shoulder. Well, old John started down the road. Old master said, John, the children love you. Yes, sir. John, I love you. Yes, sir. And Missy, will she like you? Yes, sir. But remember, John, you's a nigga. Yes, sir. For John could have, for far as John could him down the road, he was hollering. John, old oh John, the children loves you, and I love you. The missy like you. John would holler back, yes, sir. John, remember you was a nigga, though. Old master kept calling. Him and his voice was pitiful, but John kept right on stepping to Canada. He answered old master every time he called him, but he consumed on with his bag. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and who are discussing that one? I'm excited about that one simply because <laughs> it reminds me about our good friend JD. Uh, Chris, can you help me with the name of that song? <laughs> uh, the, name of, the name of the song that Jay Z has is called Still Nigga. And my, Amen. my assumption is, well, he sort of kind of has the same play uh, right. or the same uh, scenario in word, right. uh, wordplay, Perry. And he says, uh, so to speak, you know, you. I'm going to have to pull up the lyrics on that, man. <laughs> I, uh, the only reason I say that, Mr. Bucky, is because... We can go from way back then to all the way up to 2000 and the premise of this particular folklore tale or story or article is still being echoed all the way up to this modern time. So not only did Zora Neale Hurston, who wrote this particular piece, but our good brother Jay-Z, we, we, what I'm, I'm making the link between the former and the latter together, we still understand what this is saying, right? <laughs> we do get it. Right. No, I agree. And, and, and we will find that uh, this thread continues uh, to run deep. Correct. Uh, I, I, I guess I will counter and say that what hasn't happened is that the thread has not been intentional in, in bringing us together. Right, for real, right. for real now. Yeah, you know, and so no, I mean, and it's good, and, I, and, and that's what I'm saying. I think it's great on both hands because you will have someone who is seeped in this literature, not even aware of a Jay Z, or may have an idea about a Jay Z, as and vice versa, because you will have some young person who thinking Jay Z fitting fine, you know, doing the first thing, and it's like, no, man, this has been done. 
many times over. Right. <laughs> so, so like uh, the lyric says, uh, of course, he, he has a, you know, a whole bunch uh, in the song, but I guess like the main portion of the song that sounds similar to um, um, to this, remember you a nigga, is light nigga, dark nigga, faux nigga, real nigga, rich nigga, poor nigga, house nigga, feel nigga, steel nigga. That's still. <laughs> so my point was in this member use a nigga is I can go up to a, a modern time and and that's still a, a, a black president. A, a, still yeah. 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 I mean, but also let's think about the gap in time. I mean, they're writing this very much. In that niggerdom, <laughs> you know, and, and, and how they are responding to it. I think you know. I mean, you know, we and we gonna get to that later because that also is something that gets translated in a lot of these narratives, um, which I think is gonna be funny. When we'll we'll talk about it, but uh, one of the things that you see coming out of the slave narratives, especially those that they call the post-antebellum, coming right out of, uh, you know, they just been emancipated and, and, and reconstruction. Uh, don't get it confused. None of them had anything good to say about it. But when you began to look in their writings, what they began to do is take this real fine tune and try to extract some of the greatness that they got out of it without diminishing the whole thing and, and, and that really takes a lot you know to have gone through it and you're going to see how some people who weren't even in slavery then began to take this more revolutionary approach to slavery even though they weren't in it and somehow began to look at you know and i mean that that was always great discussion about you know in terms of how we deal with slavery that was the very i mean there were many revolutionaries before malcolm and garvey who were saying listen they only know if you pick up arms that's the only way they deal in fact we're gonna get to david walker hopefully tonight where we talk about that but uh you have you have those who endured slavery and who understood that progress and you know sometimes takes time because progress granted for people that's not ready soon you know falters back and i guess you can say that about reconstruction and maybe say that even about now right you you have a regression yeah so uh and then okay let, let's take a look at these other two because i think these are really profound because these are directed really uh at black society let's start with uh uh why the nigger works so hard the reason niggas is work yeah the reason niggas is working so hard and this again is it's a little small limerick it says this is the way that was. God let down two bundles about five miles down the road, so the white man and the nigger raced to see who could get there first. Well, the nigger outrun the white man and grabbed the biggest bundle. He was so scared the white man would get it away from him, he fell on top of the bundle and hollered back. 
Oh, I got here first, and this biggest bundle is mine. The white man says, all right, I'll take your leavings, and picked up the little teeny Nietzsche bundle laying on the road. When the nigga opened up his bundle, he found a pick, a shovel, and a hoe, and a plow, and a chop axe, and then the white man opened up his bundle and found a writing pen and ink. So ever since then, the nigga been out in the hot sun using his tools, and the white man been sitting up figuring, auction out, figures a figure, all the white man, all for the white man, none for the nigga. Yeah, this if there's some truth just in the limerick, I mean, I. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will say, um, um, Zora was definitely, I don't know, in her time, ahead of her time, around the time, if I could say that. Uh, but these are folk tales she picked up from people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I, I think like, like Ladonna is is uh, relaying that. The, the writings and teachings of, of of our ancestors, of our elders, because not all of not all of our you know not all of the stories are dead with the people. So I, I mean like it is detrimental for you to know who and where you are because not all people of my hue <laughs> came from Africa. All of my majority of my people of my hue were enslaved majority mm -hmm. of them were enslaved from this country transferred to another country then transferred to another country then brought back to this country to do just what Perry read work that's it that's it and most i don't know most negroes niggas will i don't know yeah we would you know boldly say oh well slavery never touched my family and my family is, uh, you know, I'm the Cherokees and I'm the, but all, the whole time you're missing the gap of where the American slaves actually come from. And it was those, I guess, non-civilized tribes of who I am that was considered to, you know, to be pushed along to other places like the Caribbean, like Africa. So not all of America's slaves, black American slaves were from Africa. Uh, so, I, I mean, like, they looped us all in the same bowl because of the hue we have. And, and it's it's frustrating that a lot of people, you know, especially of this hue, will say, oh, well, no, that didn't go for us because I'm of this tribe, or I'm of that tribe, or I'm of this tribe. And here it is, majority current today, individuals are, you know, going about different ways to find out what tribe they actually come from uh, mm -hmm. and most of and i will say again most of the american indigenous aborigines <laughs> of this country were shipped to other countries and other continents so we we, we have a long line of you know like like Perry said, I'm gonna open my box and this is what you get. And you know, you have to make do with what you got, especially at that particular time. So I'm I'm ecstatic, man. Yeah. All right, Ladonna, Perry. 
<laughs> you know, I'm staying I'm out of it a little in. bit more than. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, because again, for I mean, for me, have that kind of like, concept and idea about the dynamics of how we looked at each other socially, and then I'm just about to say, I feel grow, like yeah, that, that kind of speaks to our working twice as hard to get half as much, right? So to me. If I looked at that, that's what I would be thinking. I mean, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure the general consensus on this program is that whatever you do, uh, nine times out of ten, we have a fundamental consensus in our community that we're going to have to do double or triple as much to get a fraction of what the other groups may be getting, right? Yeah, yeah. So well, that kind of contributes yeah. to why I say, well, the the the, the poem kind of speaks to why the niggas Negro is working so much. Um, first because you know we we start behind the line, and then when you get up to the line, the metric have changed. Yeah. <laughs> so now yeah. you got to do some more to get up to yeah. a fraction. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. and as well as. As well as we we also uh, and we didn't really get a chance to talk about uh, slavery and really you know I mean again we know that our history does not begin with slavery. I was hoping that and, we would address and, that. And even and even though with the sixteen nineteen project, we also have to admit that really blacks first came here as explorers. Right. Uh, Esther Venetia, who discovered New Mexico and, and Arizona, was black. John Batista Fabus, you know, even though he came after 69, these were black explorers. And then when you began to look at the 16, you know, 1619 project, those people came in as uh, indentured servants. They really weren't called slaves, even though they were treated, treated harshly. And you'll begin to hear uh, those who, you know, who came from that Virginia, you know, lineage. I mean, uh, Frederick Douglass and those, I mean, their ancestors started as indentured servants. And yes, they got the poor treatment and that's what they were dealing with. But in understanding also the history of America, see, here's what was going on. Okay, you had... Uh, in 1619, uh, uh, you know, in Virginia, the big crop there was cotton, tobacco, and it was more of an agricultural, uh, you know, push. Well, as the century changes and we get to more or less, uh, you know, the end of the 18th century going into the 19th century, uh, now you have the cotton gin. And cotton becomes a, 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 a you know predominant thing that America, not, but it's in the south. But what was going on in the north was you had the immigrants from the Irish and the Greeks. They were coming in, and they and and so the north was going more toward textile. The south was still more this agriculture, and as as uh, you'll see that. Blacks in, in, in all these cases were nothing more than a tool. 
Well, I was, I was, I was uh, paired before we get back to America. I was hoping that we would have touched on, uh, like you said, our, our history doesn't really start with slavery. Uh, and a lot of Africana people, when we go into the Africana diaspora, we got to mm-hmm. remember that uh, Aristotle and, and, and Socrates and Plato, they studied at the feet of the Egyptians who are right. black. Okay. These are Africana people. And so when we when we talk about history, for me, I always want to go back to antiquity because this is where mm-hmm. you get the real foundation of us being royal and 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 you know a people that is a a a civilized civilization that right. taught the entire rest of the world how to be what they are. And when we don't discuss those things, we get it yeah. twisted as to who we really are. The very first telecommunication device was uh, 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 Egyptian people speaking into the river. You could cup your hands and speak into the water and it would carry a message downstream, right? This is like the first, you know, we got to go all the way back to antiquity to really straighten it out. How some of the people that we consider the fathers and mothers of modern medicine and arts and uh, all of these things, these people learned what they learned at the feet of Africana people, right? Africana people being us, Right. Still and all, even though we were ripped from our 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 native lands, you know what I mean? We we've got to start also teaching the real truth. Yeah. It's it's not it's no coincidence that every modern uh technological advance was really engineered by African people or African uh dis- distinct, you know, uh a descent of African people, you know what I mean? Yeah. Somebody would argue that the light bulb was actually created by a black man. Somebody yeah. would argue that, I mean, uh, 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 modern medicine was really uh, created by a black man. You know, a, a lot of technological advances because here in America, we were not considered as people. They did not get the credit that they were due. So when we start talking about Black History 365, we got to go way back. We got to come all the way forward. And then we got to break through the lies and the deception and the deceit to really get the message straight. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I I think that is one of many. Uh, one we don't know our history, but I can remember being in junior high school and and sitting in world history and everybody trying to do something else and not trying to pay attention to world history. I even remember people in college not paying attention to world history and American history. Uh, from from the 1600s, you know, the 1400s up to you know the 1800s. So we we we've been a part of our own detriment in that because even though that wasn't really precise history, it was some history in which to gauge. And now we have people who can't even gauge history. I mean, you know, and, and, and again, we look at we look at the Bible. And some people who go so far and bobble along the Bible timeline that they refuse to see that there's a world timeline in which to days that. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, to talk about the story of Moses and Pharaoh without understanding the history of the Pharaohs. Right. You, I mean, you, I mean, you only getting a Moses story and not a good one at that. Hey, he preaching, y'all. <laughs> hey, man, boy, you got a word on the day on that one. You know, and so, 
You know, yeah. Uh, I guess that's that's Terry Rose Jr. coming out. Yeah, that's, that, 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 that's that nigga coming out. But uh, and, and eventually we'll get to David Walker because David Walker begins to talk about all of this. I mean, it is one of the most uh, well put together uh, essays I, I've ever seen. But uh, and let, let's do let, let's do this last one by Zora Neale Hurston. Uh, because I think this one is even more profound to then why the the reason niggas is working so hard is the next one. Why the system black works hardest? Know what happened after God got through making the world and the varmints and the folks? He made up a great bundle and let it down in the middle of the road. Kind of sound like the previous one. Uh, it lay there for thousands of years. Then old missus said to old master, go pick up that box. I want to see what's in it. Old master look at the box and it looks so heavy that he says to the nigga, go fetch me that big old box and there in the road. The nigga been stumbling over the box a long time, so he felt, so he tell his wife, woman, go get that box. So the nigga woman, she run to get that box, she says. Always lack always like to open up a big box because there's nearly always something good in great big boxes so she run and grab a hold of the box and opened it and was it was full of hard work that's the reason the sister in black works hardest than anybody else in the world the white man tells the nigga to work and he takes it and tells his wife Very much like the old one. But man, does that same man, does that ring true in some ways? <laughs> you can't deny it. <laughs> I will say, I will say, that is very profound. That, that is very profound. Because in, in today's society, we see some of the most strongest hard-working committed black females or females period for that matter i will say i've seen some very strong hard-hitting females over the past 20 years and i'm 42 next month so um yeah i, I do wanna I, I do wanna say um hey man you preach it man and yeah this is is yeah, this profound, bro. <laughs> yeah, and these are the words about ancestors. I mean, it's not me making it up, it's just there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you could even look at it on a single mother's side or on a single mother's point from a single mother's, mother's point of view. I'm not a single mother, but I, I am a product of a single mother, so like, uh, I, I mean, like, I, I see how hard uh african americans even if the man did uh the the woman had to you know well didn't have <clears throat> in most households the woman was the glue to everything um the family the the man getting up making sure he was you know uh his clothes was nice and his belly was ready you know made sure that when he got home he was you know his belly was nice and his clothes was ready uh, so I mean, the, that's one of the strongest, one of the strongest people I know right now uh, is a yeah. black woman. 
the yeah. art, the sister in black. <laughs> Man, that's something. Um, I'm gonna tell y'all right now. I wish I would have got up and got myself together, but I'm tired. And but I do got on black right now. I just want y'all to know that. What that has to do with the show? I'm just I'm I'm giving y'all a hard time. <laughs> hey, no, I don't mind. I don't mind. We're it, it's, it's for us to help educate yeah. ourselves. Educate our yeah, I've always said that the black woman was always the, the strongest person around that I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Always and, and, and to today, there. Yeah. Still today. And, yeah. Still yeah. today. Man, and that's a great segue into uh, uh, our next one. Uh, Tom, let's go with Elizabeth Keckley. Okay. Uh, man, this is one of. Uh, <laughs> Man, this is one of the um man, you read this story, man. It it it, it hey, you said you pull that one. I, I, if you've not I mean, I, I I've read miracles in the Bible. Heard people talk about miracles, but man, to read this woman's story and to see God move in her life the way he did, man, it is Oh man, let 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 I uh when I was getting ready to do this, let's start uh Tony. It should say Elizabeth Keckley one. Look at the file name. So uh, okay, yeah, it should. Let's go to the one behind. It should start with behind the scenes. Okay. Um, it wasn't sent to be that way. That's what. I yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, uh, but but while Tony gets this gets that ready, man, Elizabeth. Keckley wrote her narrative and she titled it 30 Years a Slave and Four Years in the White House. Now, I know we now heard 12 Years a Slave, but man, this story talking, here. Are we talking about behind the scenes? Yeah, behind the scenes or 30 Years a Slave. Um, Elizabeth Keckley was born, uh, and I'll just give you a brief one. She was born a, uh, she was born in slavery. Uh, she learned uh, sewing from her mother, became a modiste, uh, which is a seamstress. Uh, man, she endured some really tough times during slavery and was able, because she was so such a great seamstress, uh, she ended up uh, buying her freedom and her son's freedom. Uh, after doing so, she became so well known in the Washington circle uh, that she became a uh, seamstress for Mary Todd Lincoln and, in fact, became a close confidant of Mary Todd Lincoln. And Mary Todd Lincoln, Lincoln gets in trouble with her and, and, and over Mary Todd Lincoln, uh, they called it a scandal back then. Mary Todd Lincoln was trying to raise money for the initiative. She knew Elizabeth Keckley's dresses and, and her designs would sell. So Mary Todd Lincoln, being the white woman that she was, thought she can go to New York and nobody would notice the first lady. And the first lady was there shilling clothes. And 
it made a big scandal. Because why are you in New York trying to steal clothes and everything else? And it made it look like a scandal. And people talk bad about Mary Todd Lincoln and uh, Elizabeth Keckley and this. Uh, all of these things were coming together. Elizabeth Keckley was very good friends with uh, Frederick Douglass and, and uh, William uh, Garner Harrison. And so, you know, these were the people that she hung with and this came about and she said she was never going to speak of it, but because it became an issue, she felt like she had to defend Mary Todd Lincoln in some way and at the same time set the record straight about slavery. Because, <laughs> I mean, she was very much in the sense of what you call a diva. She was very much a diva. She took care of business. I will really say this is one of the first divas I've ever identified in my life. <laughs> ever. <laughs> and I'm not talking about the diva of today. Where right, heels and all that. I'm talking about the real diva that actually raised communities. Yeah, know, yeah, is who we're talking about. Yeah, um, she starts. She starts off her uh, piece by saying, "I've often been asked to write my life, uh, as those who know me know that I have that it has been an eventful one." Um. He goes on to say, if I if I have portrayed the dark side of slavery, I have also painted the bright side. The good that I have said of human servitude should be thrown into the scales with the evil that I have said of it. I have kind, true-hearted friends in the South as well as in the North, and I would not wound those Southern friends by sweeping condemnation simply because I was once a slave. And, man, that, I mean, that takes... I mean, that, that, that takes a real spiritual shift in one's character and soul to really, you know, come to that conclusion. And though it may sound sort of passive, it's really very strong once you begin to know who Elizabeth Crackley is, because at one point she said she wouldn't forgive it. <laughs> you know, uh, but man, it starts out... Um, she talks about when she was born. Uh, Tony, if you can go to that one, it has a chapter when it was born. Uh, she starts out by saying she really, um, her first recollections of life was when she was four, about four years old. You know, that's when you kind of, uh, but check this out. Um, she was saying she couldn't really recall much. She knew that uh, her master, he was, he, he was, like most guys at that time, he was trying to play big and really couldn't afford the slaves that he had. And a lot of the times he ended up, slaves became his way of paying debt. And because of that, I mean, you, you'll find out that that becomes a part of her life. But she says that about four years old, the mistress, the mistress, had a baby and she had gone to this what she called the hardy school and uh, she says uh you know they taught me to rely upon myself and to prepare myself to render assistance to others she said the lessons 
was not better was not a better one for I was too young to indulge in philosophy and the precepts that then treasured and practiced I believed and developed into principles of character which have enabled me to triumph to this day notwithstanding all the wrongs that slavery used upon me I can bless it for one thing youth's important lesson of self-reliance and so when you think about this she was in the school as a as a toddler being trained how to take care of a mistress and she and she tells the story that when mistress had this baby you know she kind of looked at it as a pet and the old ladies who had you know the old maids and and those who had had nurtured her began to teach her how to take care of this baby and one day she's rocking this baby and the baby falls out of her lap she screams nobody comes she picks up a shovel that they use to shovel out the the fireplace and that's when the mistress comes in and she's out herself to the top and the mistress demands that she catches a whooping not just a whooping let me let, let, let me not say a whooping <laughs> the mistress demanded that she get a harsh punishment um and she says um go ahead she said the blows were not as administered with a light hand i assure you and doubtless the severity of the lashing has made me remember that incident so well to this day this was the first time i was punished in this cruel way but not the last at four at four And then she goes on, you know, I mean, and so uh, at about 18, man, it's really crazy. The, the master sends her to one of his son's house. His son is the minister. His son is married, but she was really bequeathed to the daughter. And man, it's crazy, isn't it? To find out that your life is really connected to somebody else's life. You have no say-so whatsoever. But while she was waiting for her mistress, which was the old master's daughter, to get married, and it was taking her a long time, the old master sent it to his son to help him out. And uh, man, this is a great uh, this year. She she talks about um, how the son's wife really didn't like it, and uh, so she. Uh, they had a schoolmaster, and she concocted with the schoolmaster to have the schoolmaster take care of her. And this is a long part, but y'all, I mean, you got to hear it because it, it, this is wow. So, uh, let me see. Yeah, so the guys, the schoolmaster, his name is Mr. Bingham. She said it was Saturday evening. And while I was bending over the bed watching the baby that I had just hushed to slumber, Mr. Bingham came to the door and asked me to go with him to his study. Wondering what he meant by his strange request, I followed him. And when he entered the study, he closed the door to his blunt, in his blunt way, remarked, Lizzie, I'm going to flog you. 
I was thunderstruck and tried to think if I had been remiss in anything. I could not recollect of anything I had done and was surprised as claims, whoop me, Mr. Ben, for what? No matter. I'm going to whip you, so take that dress down this instant. I was 18 years of age, was a woman fully developed, and yet this man coolly made, bade me to take down my dress. I drew myself up proudly, firmly, and said, no, Mr. Bankham, I shall not take down my dress before you. Moreover, you shall not whip me unless you prove the stronger. Nobody has a right to whip me but my master, and nobody shall do if I can prevent. I won't even go on, man. Elizabeth Keckley whooped this man's ass. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. He did. He came back. And they fought and they fought. And man, I can't because I, I was I was reading this earlier today to my granddaughter, telling this story to her, man. I mean, it was really just make you cry, but it got so bad. And here's where I mean, just here's the power of the Lord really coming into life. Um, he said uh, on the on this on this last fight, she said we struggled, and he struck me many savage blows as I stood bleeding before him, nearly exhausted with his efforts. He burst into tears and declared that it would be a sin to beat me anymore. Now that sounds good, but then he said, my suffering and last subdued his hard heart. He asked my forgiveness and afterwards an altered man. He was never known to strike any one of his servants from that day forward. Mr. Burwell, who preached the love of he heaven, now this is her master, Mr. Burwell, who preached the love of he heaven, who glorified the precepts and examples of Christ, who expounded the Holy Scriptures on the Sabbath, after Sabbath from the pulpit, when Mr. Bingham refused to whip me anymore, little John was urged by Victoria to punish me himself. Uh, one morning, he went to the wood pile, took an old broom, cut the handle, and with his heavy hand, handle, attempted to conquer me. This was the preacher. Her master. His wife told him after the other man gave up beating on it, said he forgive her. His wife made him beat her. And now here he is, the preacher, beating him. And he beat her so bad, uh, she said, I would not dwell upon the bitter anguish of those hours, for even the thought of them now make me shudder. At the sight of my bleeding form, the wife fell upon her knees and begged him to desist. My distress even touched her cold, jealous heart. Well, Perry. We've got that. <laughs> Our time is up. <laughs> Our time is Man. up. And um, I appreciate you leading us to this. It, it takes so much. We have so much history. Yeah. So many stories, uh, folk tales. And, uh, and, and, and this is the reason why I uh, uh, produced this page on Facebook called Knowledge and Power Podcast. Uh, 
Black Culture 365 yeah. because it, it takes more than a month to go through. Yeah, I, I, this is the kind of history that needs to be taught in school. Right, right, I think right, if we taught the kids right. like what Terry was just talking right. about in school, so, I don't think we would have the violence that we have right, right now toward right. each other. Right. We do so, it. We do that because we don't know our history. Right. What we all we went through. History. I like my, my great uncle. He was one of the first people to vote in Louisiana. And once he got registered to vote, they put out his address so people could go to his house and do things to his house just because he was one of the first blacks to vote in Louisiana. Right. Yeah. You let, me know, you guys, just, let me leave you guys with this. This is it's history. Every day is history. We're, we're going to continue to do what we do to increase our volume of folks to share, to share our our rich heritage of black history uh, every day of the year, 365. Uh, before we close, let me let me just add that add lib this. Um, today we look at the miseducation of the American Negro. Let me reinstate that the fact that the Africans that was captured and enslaved were, were not wild, barefoot ungodly, illiterate creatures. Correct. No, we wasn't. About yeah. being captured, former kings, queens, warriors, craftsmen, architects, astrologers. Did I say that right? Astro astrologers. 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 That's right. Psychologists, uh, artists, designers, traders, farmers, scientists were beaten down into a submission of illiteracy. For survival, we neglected, we, we, they was negated that what, what they knew, all right? Slave masters knew that their control of slaves would re require much more than just physical retribution. Therefore, to keep the slaves completely under their control, to keep the slaves totally dependent on them, slave states made it illegal for slaves to read, write, or understand the concept of money. Uh, after the slave revolt led by Nate, Nate Turner in 1831, all slave states except for Maryland, Kentucky, Tennessee, passed laws against the teaching of slaves to read and write. Slave owners feared that literacy among the slaves would confuse and frustrate slaves. A thinking slave is not a happy slave and could become a dead slave. States such as North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Virginia, Texas, Louisiana, adopted the Alabama Slave Code of 1833, where it was declared that any person who shall attempt to teach any free person of color or a slave to spell, read, write, or handle money, money to be convicted and fined for the sum of no less than $250, $100, and no more than $500. The slave that was caught reading, writing, having money on them could be beaten severely, scarred, maimed, 
or suffer any amputation of either their fingers, their hands, their arms, or foot could also be sold away from, or could be sold away from their families or killed. All just for reading or writing. Yes, they were slaves who secretly knew how to read and write, but out of fear of being discovered, they played the role of not knowing, doing whatever in order to survive. Slave owners also manipulated biblical scriptures such as Bible obey your masters from Ephesians 6, 5 to their slaves that even God meant for them to be slaves and what was being done to them was right. Hey guys, you got to excuse me, but just writing this makes a person feel like Lord have mercy. Yeah, it, it, it's a shame we didn't get to talk about David Walker, but because David Walker addresses that head on in his appeal, and, uh, and 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 what I will say, you know, I one thing I did learn, uh, even though our tribes, uh, the tribes in Africa, spoke different languages, Creole was the language of commerce and trade that they commonly spoke. So that is why Creole became that common language. But if you understand, uh, as, as they say, uh, when America was dealing with indentured service, see, it was a zero-sum total. When the indentured servant paid off his, his time, then master was back at ground one, so therein led to chattel slavery, which then eliminated the whole process of you really buying your freedom. And thus, also a part of chattel slavery is that you find out in the diaspora, it wasn't just a matter of taking away their language. They began to do more of a psychological war, uh, warfare and tell them that they had no past. So when you figured that your past, and, and that became the custom, because when, when when you see, and David Walker began to talk about it, there was no other civilization where slavery was a part of it, and slavery has been a part since, I mean, since time, and, and Walker goes through it. But what you find out with American Christian white was they were supposed to be more enlightened. And so how is it that a more enlightened people become so much more barbaric? And they were much more barbaric. Uh, probably not more than the Portuguese, but then you see the whole reason why South America is in the position that it's in, and, and Walker talks about that, because they are at, even then, he says, it, you know, the Spaniards are constantly at each other's neck because their government is from the people and they can't trust their government. And that is why, you know, you say they're standing hollering peace, but they're at each other's throat, cutting each other's throat. He says God would never get in the middle of that chaos. And he says that then. And that is what we see now in Guatemala, Honduras, that whole thing. And so, this isn't new. Our ancestors have been telling us these things have been existing and evolving right. even to this day. Correct. Correct. 
Well, that's 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 a wrap. We're wrapping it up right now, guys. Thank you. Appreciate you. Uh, and everyone here Me. that's watching, listening to Nanish's Party's Cricket, we want to make sure you go out and vote on Tuesday. Uh, I think somebody's trying to get my attention. My headset. If I hear someone in my headsets, that's just me saying, okay. "Don't forget about voting." Yeah, go ahead. We want to make sure that you get out and vote. It's not enough for us to come on and talk about history. We've got to be creating history as we go. We need to show up at the polls March first, Tuesday, seven a.m to 7 p.m. And one more little plug, the 100 plus black women are having their uh, scholarship banquet and awards March 26th. Tickets are $45. Um, and that's it, Tony. Go ahead. Hey, guys. hey, it's it. Thank you again. Uh, we have a next show on Tuesday. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, March the 1st. Let us know. Knowledge of Power Podcast Live. We appreciate you. Thank you, Perry Busby the third. We appreciate you guys. And appreciate we're gonna, it. We're going to continue to do this. And Great show, Phil. Thank you. We ask you all to, if you're listening, to please join us on our Facebook, our Facebook page, uh, Knowledge of Power Podcast. Live. No, 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 no. That's not it. It's Knowledge of Power Podcast. Black Culture Page 365. Thank you again, everybody. We love you. And we'll see you the next time. Thank you for watching Knowledge is Power Podcast Live. Be sure to like and subscribe to all Knowledge is Power social media pages.